What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Sean Lemon signing with the BC Lions. The details of Trevor Harris's new contract with the Saskatchewan Roughriders. Intriguing receiver being added to this year's CFL draft. The Elks and Red Blacks making a trade. And the Toronto Argonauts bringing back Dontrell Inman following a seven-year stint in the NFL. But first, the BC Lions have traded veteran QB Dane Evans, sending a conditional fourth round CFL draft pick to the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the deal. Evans has renegotiated his contract for the 2023 season with the Lions. Head coach and co-GM Rick Campbell made it clear that Vernon Adams Jr. remains the starter. What are your thoughts on the Leo's edition of Evans? I think it's a great move. And we talked about this on the show last week, how... The Hamilton Tiger Cats had no leverage when it came to trading Dane Evans. They were never going to get an outstanding return for him. The only caveat I had last week was, boys, they have a little bit of leverage if they let another team come in and give them permission to negotiate a new deal. Now, it still remains unclear what the terms of Evans' new deal is. I had a source indicate that he is slated to make less hard money in 2023 than Trevor Harris made with the Montreal Alouettes in 2022, which would be about $130,000. Though when you look at deals like Nick Arbuckles in Ottawa, which we're going to report next week, by the way, boys, those are about the numbers that you see for competent CFL backup quarterbacks with lots of experience. So I think this is a great fit financially for BC. I think it's a great personnel fit for BC. And I also think it's a great fit for Evans. JC, you were in on the Zoom call interviewing Evans with BC last week. So I'll let you talk about Evans' side of it a little more. But what I will say is we saw last season when Evans was the guy in Hamilton, it did not go well. He did not take that next step to be the unquestioned starter, the face of a franchise. I've been saying it for months. He needs to go to a place where he is not in a hotbed. There was speculation that he was going to end up potentially in Saskatchewan. That would have been an awful fit. For him, Trevor Harris, I think, is a much better fit on the Prairies. Evans needed to go to a place like Toronto, like BC, even like Montreal, where he has a year to regain some of that confidence that he appeared to lose last season as he threw a a league-leading 16 interceptions. I think getting the chance to play behind Vernon Adams Jr. is a great place for him to be in 2023 because we know from his time with Jeremiah Vasoli sharing the spotlight in Steeltown, that he is great in a tandem role. He is not an egotist who wants to make it all about him. He is a good team guy. And I think losing Nathan Rourke, there's no replacement for Nathan Rourke, but a one-two punch of Vernon Adams Jr. and Dane Evans is very respectable on the West Coast. The perfect fit for the team and a perfect fit for the player. And you've touched on it, Hodge. Dane Evans is the type of guy who thrives in that number two role or that one B role, however you want to characterize it. But that's what he's accepting here at Goga BC. And when he addressed the media, I asked Dang Evans, like how high on your list of priorities is being a starter? And basically it's not on his list at all. 
normally when you have these conversations with guys coming in, guys like Trevor Harris last year, they talk about how they want to work with the incumbent starter and all those nice things. But at the end of the day, almost every quarterback you talk to says, well, my goal is to be a starter. Eventually, I'm going to prepare like a starter. Yaga, yaga, yaga. Right. That is your typical response. Dave Evans said none of that. It was all about how I'm going to help Vernon Adams Jr. He has fully accepted the backup role here, guys. And that works great for the Lions who need a competent insurance policy. Your Vernon Adams Jr., who for my money, didn't really impress all that much last year. Hopefully he can make some strides after a full off season in that offense, but has been inconsistent in the past and you can't fully rely on. But now you get a guy you can bring in who is that competent insurance, but also isn't going to shake the boat because we know that what happened last year in Montreal, Vernon Adams Jr., you assume would have some flashbacks with a veteran quarterback being brought in to back him up in the offseason, am I going to lose my starting job again? It doesn't seem like that's happening, right? He welcomed him on Twitter versus the sort of brief tirade and deleting of the account that we saw last year. Hopefully, VHA has matured a little bit, but I also think this is a case where Dane Evans is the least threatening backup in the CFL because of how he approaches that role. And so I think it's going to be a really good fit throughout the season for both parties. How quickly a year changes things last year or around this time, guys, we were talking about the decision of the Tiger cats to choose Dane Evans over Jeremiah Masoli. And a year later, or one season later, we should say, they're all right with shipping Evans off and signing Bo Levi Mitchell for over $500,000. And there's been either an interesting stat or a meaningless number. I believe it's over the last two years. Dane Evans has thrown for more yards, completed a higher percentage of his passes, and I think has the same amount of touchdowns and interceptions. Guys, am I right on that? I believe that's correct. I think Evans had, this past season had 16 touchdowns, 16 picks. Over the last two seasons, Mitchell has 17 touchdowns, 17 picks. So it's really close when you just look at the stat sheet. But the key difference between Bo Levi Mitchell and Dane Evans is confidence and leadership. And that's why I'm going to agree with you guys really quickly here because I don't want to go too much on what you've talked about. But that's the reason why I think Dane Evans is a great fit in BC. He's not going to have his shadow casting over Vernon Adams Jr., who had that happen to him in Montreal with Trevor Harris. And he can be a great teammate in that mold of a backup quarterback, but he's not a guy that can command the respect of a locker room like a Jeremiah Masoli, like a Bo Levi Mitchell, who I felt it was very interesting, interviewed him at the Grey Cup not so long ago in Hamilton. And then you see those pictures of them together by our Bob Buttram on the site and they're all happy go lucky. And it's like less than a year later, Bolivar Mitchell doesn't care. He's taking the guy's job. I mean, that's how cutthroat football is, but it was just really intriguing to see that, how it all evolved and a year can change so many things guys play with this for me for one second. And Hodge, you touched on this. If Trevor Harris does not go to Saskatchewan, then based on all that I had been told, I really believe the Rough Riders would have made a push to trade for Dane Evans or somehow acquire him. If that happens, that would have meant that Trevor Harris stays in Montreal. Where would Cody Fajardo have ended up? And I think the most sense could have either made 
the BC Lions or perhaps the Toronto Argos. So it shows you how one move can affect the quarterback situation around the league. Well, we know Cody Fajardo said that the team that he considered most strongly outside of Montreal was Toronto. So I think Toronto would have been a good fit for Cody Fajardo. He's another guy like Dane Evans, who I think maybe needed some time out of the spotlight after being the face of the franchise on the prairies, right? There are very few jobs in this country that have more pressure associated with them than starting quarterback. Uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I've said it on this show, I'll say it again. There's no better job than starting quarterback at the Saskatchewan Rough Riders when you're winning. There's no worse job than the Saskatchewan Rough Riders quarterback when you're losing, right? I do not want to go to the grocery store in Regina after throwing a game losing pick six on Friday. I'm getting the, I'm getting the groceries delivered. I'm not going into that grocery store if I'm in that situation. So that you do a great job, though, of outlining the dominoes dunk, right? There is a domino process or a carousel-like process, if you will, associated with a nine-team league, right? A relatively small league that has only so many veteran quarterbacks to go around. And last year, we saw Trevor Harris, a guy who's now, right, one of the highest paid, I believe the third highest paid quarterback in the league. Last year, he didn't have a job. Right, he, the carousel stopped spinning, and there were no empty seats available for Trevor Harris, and he had to go be a backup in Montreal. So it goes to show how things can change from one year to the next, and how things can uh, can rotate. Right, and, and and it's also it also shows guys the pressure these guys are under to perform because one bad year is all it takes to be out. Two quick thoughts on that before we move on. I think. You talk about confidence and leadership dunk in terms of Bo Levi Mitchell versus Dane Evans. And I, I think it's important to note that there are different types of leaders, right? Bo Levi Mitchell is a very distinctive type of confident upfront leader. I think Dane Evans is a very different type of leader, a quieter one, more suited to that backup role, right? So I don't necessarily think that's worse. And I think you need that guy on your football team in some capacity. What happens is sometimes people get promoted past their abilities. And unless you have a structure in place with a guy who can take on that rah-rah role on the offense, then that person is going to struggle when they're placed out of their comfortable context and I think that happened a little bit with Dane Evans it doesn't make him any less of a leader I think he's a a an excellent football player a very good teammate a good lead by example guy he's just not necessarily that QB1 prototype that we like to think of that Bo Levi Mitchell fits so well but the last thing I want to say on this is how about another aggressive you know, savvy move here by the BC Lions and their management. They have been going since last season, making play after play to go and be aggressive and, and get wins. It starts with the, the decision to go with Nathan Rourke when nobody knew what he was. Then when Nathan Rourke gets hurt, they go and aggressively go out and get Vernon Adams Jr. for a first round pick, which is a great move at the time, helps them get to the playoffs. And after the season, they go and recruit that first round pick for a guy who was 
potentially going to leave them next year in Jordan Williams playing from a position of strength. You move that piece to get back the draft capital you lost, and then you trade away a conditional fourth to get another quarterback, loading up, ensuring you have the insurance at the position that you didn't necessarily have last year and needed to go out and get. So essentially, they still have a first-round pick, and all they've lost is a conditional fourth, and they have both VA and Dang Evans there in that quarterback room, which makes it one of the strengths of the team in terms of the ability to flip from one or the other. Some really exceptional management by Neil McAvoy and Rick Campbell there in BC. I think that needs to be said. Speaking of the quarterback position, Argos head coach Ryan Dinwiddie told you, JC, that he is confident in Chad Kelly as Toronto's starting quarterback going into the 2023 season. Why is Dinwiddie so high on the nephew of Pro Football Hall of Fame QB, Jim Kelly? Uh, There's the obvious physical tools, right? Kelly has all the arm strength in the world, and and Dinwiddie talked at length about his mobility and and what that's going to allow the Argos to do next year, to get him out on the bootleg, outside the pocket, do some things that McLeod Bethel Thompson couldn't really do because he was more of a pocket passer. But what they really love about Chad Kelly and what is immediately obvious to anyone who's ever heard him speak is his confidence and his competitiveness, right? We discussed sort of that mold, that rah-rah mold that Bo Levi Mitchell is. Chad Kelly does it in an entire way, but it is just as out there as anyone else. He is brash. He carries himself with bravado, and he's going to go out there. And and Ryan Dinwiddie told me, you know, if your quarterback is not the most competitive player on your football team, you're going to have problems. We think Chad Kelly is the most competitive player in the entire league. And you know what, guys? I have a hard time arguing with them. Just hold up. Was that a landline phone that was ringing there? Who has landline phones anymore? <laughs> I apologize. Yes, it was a landline phone. We need an explanation here. Don't you just... Roll on a cell phone like everybody else, JC? Or you I, need two I phones? do, in fact. Okay, I do, in fact. It's not my landline, but it's been placed in here. There's a there's a lot of moving parts going on. I was going to say, All is right. 1988 on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> do you have to wait for your internet to dial up too, JC? Uh, the, the, until two days ago, there was no landline phone in this room. There is now a landline phone for reasons that are some tech thing. I don't know. We got new internet installed in this this house. The landline got disconnected and then reconnected. Now there's a phone in my house. Okay, I don't so if you really want to contact JC, why. you can email him, tweet him, call him on his cell phone, or you might be one of the lucky few people to get his landline number maybe it's what he saves for some of his extracurricular activities but i digress great analysis on chad kelly boys swag kelly season is upon us i am so jacked up that the argos have finally said publicly what i've believed for months now that chad kelly is going into the 2023 season as their starter i understand you don't want to hand him the keys to the castle or the argos ship i should say but this dude could change a lot of things for this franchise, especially in Toronto, and I think get more bums in seats. But Chad Kelly is a very intriguing player, and dare I say, could he be Nathan Rourke 2.0, if you know what I'm getting at? A guy that has played even less than Nathan Rourke did 
when he was with BC before he went on a tear last year and got an NFL contract from the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not saying Kelly's going to go the NFL route because he's older than Rourke. But I think Chad Kelly has the ability to put up the type of numbers that he talked about coming into this league. I don't necessarily think he can do it right away. But the Argos have the confidence to go with a player in Chad Kelly who is still unproven in this league, similar to what the BC Lions did with Nathan Rourke last year. And JC, you just touched on it with their management team. When Rourke wasn't as well known by a lot of people across the country, they went with him in what people would have called going into the season an unproven quarterback room. And I like the Argos taking a different direction here. Yes, they would have liked to have had McLeod Bethel Thompson back and he had been with the franchise for a number of years and obviously helped them to the Grey Cup victory in Regina last November. But I really like what the Argos are doing here. Going with Chad Kelly, fresh blood at the quarterback position. Some people might call it risky, but I like it because, again, it is a different mindset and going away from using what some people in the league will call retread quarterbacks or quarterbacks who are either around that 500 mark or under it and paying them good money to stay around that mark when they can step outside that box and go with a guy who has the ability, at least physically, to be one of the best quarterbacks in this league. And part of the reason that this is possible, by the way, is the salary cap scenario for the Toronto Argonauts. Like, just the same that we saw with Nathan Rourke making relatively small money, right, this past season with the BC Lions, they were able to stock up around him. The Argonauts have done the exact same thing in Toronto, at least in my mind. Chad Kelly is going to be the lowest paid starting quarterback in the CFL in 2023 because he is still on that rookie deal. He is a free agent after 2023. But when you look at what the Argonauts did, they brought back basically all of their big time players from that great cup run, lots of whom got big raises. Curly Gittins Jr. is one of the highest paid receivers in the CFL now. Last year, he was on his rookie deal. They brought back A.J. Olette getting a nice bump. They brought back a lot of their impact players. And then for every guy they lost, like, yes, they lost Ja'Gara Davis, defensive end. Well, guess what? They went on and spent that money on a better defensive end in Florin Orimalade from the Calgary Stampeders. You know, they lost Chris Edwards, but they added a Darius Pickett, who in my mind is a better strong side linebacker. So not only has this club taken the leap of using a quote-unquote unproven quarterback, but they have the added benefit of being able to invest more in the talent around it. Because outside of the quarterback position, boys, I believe the Toronto Argonauts are a better team now than they were when they won the Grey Cup just a few months ago based on those personnel moves that they've made. We should note Kelly did start one game. It was the regular season finale this past year against the Montreal Alouettes. He threw for 264 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. He also ran for 35 yards and a touchdown. So, he is green, obviously. He is unproven, largely. Uh, and and by the way, the, the Argonauts did lose that game to Montreal, 38-33. But he still had a solid performance, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him play. Because obviously, boys, we know we need big personalities in Toronto. You know, with the proximity of Buffalo, with the proximity of Jim Kelly, the legacy that he has there in southern Ontario slash you know, northwestern New York, I think that is a great fit for the Argos off the field We'll have to see if it translates on the field as well. If you want big personalities in Toronto, I don't think there's any bigger 
than Chad Kelly. He may go out in the streets and start dragging people to the stadium by their ears. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> Dunk, you reported the details of Trevor Harris's new contract with the Saskatchewan Rough Raggers that will pay him more than $1 million over the next two seasons. Is it a better deal for the veteran QB or for the Raggers? Definitely for Trevor Harris, when you consider he made $130,000 in hard money. And in total, Hodge, what did he take home last year with the Alouettes? Uh, I'd have to look it up. Give me 30 seconds. I think it was over $200,000 with his playtime incentive. So he more than doubles his salary from what he made with Montreal last year, being in a backup situation, and now goes up to being the third highest paid player in the entire CFL, $250,000 signing bonus, which will be taxed at a lower rate because of his American passport. The real key here is the $250,000 active roster bonus on February 1st, 2024. There could be a lot that changes in the year. We just talked about it with the quarterbacks changing places going into the 2023 season. And if Trevor Harris plays really well, then the Riders are going to have no issue paying that bonus. And at the time, they'll probably likely convert it into a signing bonus and want to sign him to a contract extension if he has a good season in Ryderville. But that is a major date for Trevor Harris. He gets $500,000 in hard money for the 2023 season and $525,000 if he makes it to the 2024 season in Saskatchewan. So I think it's a great deal for Harris. And it was money really that the Riders had to pay it's actually more money than they paid Cody Fajardo last year he made just under five hundred thousand dollars so they go out get a more veteran quarterback who has experience helping teams get turned around but there is no question that from a financial perspective Trevor Harris is the real winner he and I hate using this quote because it's become cliche, but bet on himself going back to Montreal because he felt like it was a place where he could see a path to being the starter and it worked out for him again. To reiterate, more than doubling what he made with Montreal. I believe I'm correct on that, right, Hodge? You are. He made $130,000 in hard money with Montreal. And for the uninitiated, hard money simply means money that you're guaranteed to make whether you play or not. He also made an additional $103,000 in playtime. So by starting games and, and hitting in different incentives for either being on the field or, or production with yardage and such, his total take-home last year was just over $230,000. So he is guaranteed to be more than that this year, obviously, because, again, his entire deal is hard money. And the Riders didn't have a lot of leverage here for the reasons that we've laid out. And I don't think they overpaid Trevor Harris, but by giving him $500,000 in hard money, the only potential detriment, especially with a signing bonus that size, is if Trevor Harris gets hurt right at any point of the season. Yes, you can put him on the six-game injured list. When players are on the six-game injured list in the CFL, their earnings are not counted against the salary cap. But if you've already paid a guy a ton of money, right, you don't get as much relief with them on the six-game injured list as you do uh, otherwise. So... To me, this is this is still a good deal for both sides, right? We we know that the, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders needed to turn the page. I know Craig Dickinson said on his show on CKRM or his weekly hit on CKRM on Monday that his team shouldn't be categorized as a mess. And he said that that line just comes from, you know, the same 10 or 15 people. And I would assume the three of us are counted among those 10 or 15 because we have criticized the Riders over the last year, boys. But between the helmet throwing, 
and the racial slurs and the suspensions and an OC job that nobody wanted, the Riders were a mess a year ago. And they needed antics going on on the sideline. And let me just jump in real quick, Hodge, and say that when the Riders were going well in 2019 and Cody Fajardo was on the rise, we really did nothing but praise the Riders, Cody Fajardo, Craig Dickinson on the way up, and even in 2021. And both those years, they got to the West Final and were very close to going to the Grey Cup. So, yeah, when you have a down year and you don't make the playoffs in a year where you host the Grey Cup and you have all of these antics going on, either publicly within our view during game time or behind the scenes, then, yeah, some people are going to dub it. I haven't necessarily called it this yet, but some people are going to call it a mess. Craig Dickinson needs to take better control of this team. And... Let's use an example here. Duke Williams was one of those players that you mentioned in terms of having an issue throwing a helmet in pregame warmups at Jack Richardson when we were there live, JC and I, at Touchdown Atlantic. Duke Richardson, sorry, Duke Richardson, Duke Williams is no longer with the team. So that's what people are talking about last season when they felt like there was a mess there and along with all of the other issues that they've held had to dealt with in Ryderville. We praised Craig Dickinson in 2019 and Cody Fajardo and the Riders when they were number one in the West Division. Same in 2021. So your record and how your team conducts itself controls the narrative. Well, and I also don't remember if I included this in my list of examples. One of their players also got arrested midseason. That is, that is a big deal as well. Um, that I think would classify last season as a mess. Also, he seemed to insinuate that some people are cheering against them, maybe even in the media, like people with narrative. Craig, we, you don't think we want clicks from Rider Nation during the playoffs? <laughs> oh, <it's> careful. <laughs> you don't like, like you don't think we want Rider fans to be engaged during the playoffs? Like, like I, we have, we have no reason to cheer against you. One could argue we have reason to cheer for you. That's all I. That's the ultimate Grey Cup would have been the Rough Riders in Regina against anybody else. That's what TSN right. would have wanted. That's what a lot of the people in the media would have wanted for exactly the case yeah, that you're talking like, about. The, the point, yeah, exactly. Like, like no member of the media is cheering for a bad rider season. I'll put it that way. I don't think members of the media in general cheer for or against any team. But and and I would say that's also true for our publication. But. Looking at our traffic for Grey Cup week, it probably would have been double if the Riders had been in that game. So if you're going to throw stones, at least make them at logical houses, because that doesn't <laughs> that that logic doesn't fit in my mind. But anyways, I think this makes sense for both teams. It, it lets the Riders turn the page. I think Trevor Harris is a good in-house leader for that team. And it's not like they had to make him the highest paid player in the CFL, right? We know Zach Kolaris is on the books for $600,000. If Zach Kolaris is on the books for six hundred, dollars I think Trevor Harris is worth five hundred. dollars especially considering, again, granted the Montreal ownership situation clearly played a role in Trevor Harris departing La Belle Provence, but to go to a place like Saskatchewan, which again, didn't make the playoffs last year, didn't have a lot of weapons in place for Trevor Harris, at least when he agreed to the terms of the deal, I don't think it's an overpick. So I like this for both sides. He's going to be the third highest paid quarterback in the CFL in 2023. And for the reasons you laid out, Dunk, the Riders, yes, he's under contract for 2024. But if he has a bad season, 
they can also easily move on because this is professional football. And unless you have that clause, right, that the CFL introduced last season, where you can guarantee a contract for a veteran in the second year of the deal, or at least guarantee a portion of it, that's only applicable to veterans who have been on the roster for the last two years. So if next or this upcoming season doesn't go well, the riders can move on. If two seasons go great, then the riders have a big advantage in renegotiating with Harris for 2025 because they can guarantee money on his deal that other teams can't. So I like it for both sides. Let's be frank here, boys. This deal can't be a win for Trevor Harris because he has to move to Regina. That could never be. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Dude, you just upset everybody in Saskatchewan. Pitchforks oh, are bring out. It on. Rotten bring it on. Are coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in, in all seriousness, I think this is a win for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. No matter how much you pay Trevor Harris, because you can't put a price truly on a legitimate franchise quarterback. And you guys talked about the mess that was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and Dickie's comments and all that. In my mind, Trevor Harris is like kitty litter. You throw it on the oil spill, it cleans it all up, right? <laughs> That's what he is for this team. He's going to be able to come in with professionalism, be able to handle the spotlight in Regina and, and improve this team going forward. Now, we'll see how much, but I truly believe they'll be a better football team with Trevor Harris at the helm than they were with Cody Fajardo. And that to me is worth far more than $500,000 a year. So it's money well spent for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I want something on the record really quick before I move on. Nobody with a landline phone gets to make fun of Virginia. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's not a problem. Speaking for the province of Saskatchewan. It's, I, I'm a proud Manitoban. I've lived and, and, and worked in Manitoba my whole life. But I love the prairies. I love my Saskatchewan folks as well. If you've got a landline phone, okay, don't, don't make fun of Regina. That's that's all I'll say. Trevor Harris is probably actually happy to go to the province of Saskatchewan and Regina because, guys, we did some of the tax calculations and the difference between Quebec and Saskatchewan. And I think he's going to pocket around 25000 dollars extra than he would have if he would have signed the same contract in Quebec. So I'm no tax expert, but more money in your pocket is better at the end of the day. So Trevor Harris being as meticulous as he is with preparing for a season and being a franchise quarterback, they would have gone over that detail. I'm sure Saskatchewan would have stressed that with him in the negotiations. That, hey, if you come, you're actually getting more money in your pocket and there will be the opportunity to make even more money off the field as the Saskatchewan Rough Riders franchise quarterback, and especially if he pays well. I mean, he can just ask Cody Fajardo what it was like those first two seasons that he was the starter in 2019 and 2021 in Saskatchewan in terms of how much money you can make off the field there and potentially post-career. Like, I'm not saying it's going to happen, and we're definitely not cheering one way or another, but if Trevor Harris leads the Rough Riders to a Grey Cup victory, he will be a legend in that province and among Rider Nation forever, and that is worth some money. Also, we need to remember that Trevor Harris is from Waldo, Ohio. And if you've never heard of Waldo, um, first of all... Where's ex Waldo? Exactly. Secondly, compared to Waldo, Regina may as well be New York City. So uh, the guy <laughs> is used to small-town life. He's used to Midwestern living. 
if you're from Waldo, Ohio, you should have no concerns about moving. I can hear Brendan McGuire right now standing up while listening to this podcast, our contributor in the Queen City, shaking his fist at all of us, just wanting to defend his city of Regina. shaking his fist at JC. Let's get – you and I have said nothing negative about Regina. <laughs> He's not going to invite me true? back on the sports cage anymore. Oh, no. That is accurate. <laughs> I've ruined it all. We'll have to call your landline phone if he does want you. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> oh, my gosh, boys. I guess we should move on here. In a story you broke, Hodge – Northern Illinois University receiver Cole Tucker has been added to the 2023 CFL draft class. Excuse me. Great nugget. How did this come about? And could he be a potential first round pick? So Tucker is born and raised in DeKalb, Illinois. I believe that's how you say it. D-E-K-A-L-B, DeKalb. Though he qualifies for Canadian citizenship through his mother, Cindy Tucker, was born and raised in Brandon, Manitoba, two hours west of Winnipeg. I lived in Brandon for many years. Love Brandon. It's like a it's like a smaller version of Regina, JC, in case you want to say something crappy <laughs> about Brandon, Manitoba, just like you did about Regina. But she went such to Such a West Coast elitist. Such a West Coast elitist. Hey, hey, JC, later today I'm gonna use I'm gonna use less than half my paycheck to pay my mortgage payment. Suck God. on that. Yeah, that's never going to happen. That's why I have a landline phone. That's why you got a landline phone, exactly. Because some of us have to scrounge in basement suites. There you go. Anyways, Cindy got a athletic scholarship as a gymnast to attend NIU. She's actually in NIU's Hall of Fame as a member of the 1991 women's gymnastics team. And it was there that she met Brett Tucker, who was a walk-on defensive back at Northern Illinois, who had an exceptional career with the Huskies, ended up being drafted by the Houston Oilers of the NFL. And of course, years later, they got married and had Cole. So Cole has great bloodlines. This is also not a situation because I know some people, some CFL purists get grumpy when guys like this randomly get their Canadian citizenship before the draft. You know, I've talked to guys at the Combine, for instance, who literally had never been to Canada before the combine. That is not the case with Cole. Him and I spoke on the phone. He told me that his grandmother still lives in Brandon and they make regular trips up and they did all throughout his childhood to visit her. So he spent a ton of time in Brandon. Ironically, he was probably in Brandon when I still lived there, which is funny to think that in such a small place, such a random place, a potential future first round CFL draft pick was coming to visit grandma just down the street. Uh, But anyways, um, he is attending NIU's Pro Day on March 23rd, will then make his way to the CFL Combine to interview with teams. And boys, his production is pretty darn impressive. Six foot two, 195 pounds. He ranks eighth all time in receiving yardage at NIU behind a couple of NFL players, including Kenny Galladay, who just got cut by the New York Giants the other day. He had 2,030 yards on 155 receptions, 10 touchdowns, and was a part of two championship teams in the MAC. So to me, he has to run really, really well to be considered for the first overall pick. He was on my first overall pick list. If he runs a 4-4 or something like that, I think there's a realistic chance he's in, he's in there. Will he run that? Probably unlikely. 
but I do still think he will be a first round pick at the worst. I think he'll be a second round pick. Juwan Breskison, Canadian receiver of the last many, many years in the, of the CFL was a second round pick of the Calgary Stampeders years and years ago, also attended Northern Illinois and Tucker's production is substantially better than what Breskison was able to do at the same school against the same level of competition. So to me, Tucker should be a first round pick. If not there, he'll go by the mid round, midpoint of the second round and a really exciting receiver because it's not a terribly strong receiver class overall. Jared Wayne is going to get NFL interest, probably not a draft pick, but has a good chance, I think, to get signed as a UDFA. So if Wayne is out of the picture for CFL teams, at least for the next little bit, Cole Tucker could help fill that void for a, a team that really needs to take a receiver at or near the top of the draft. Yeah, he's a guy that I have a difficult time imagining slipping out of the first round based on his production and his profiling. I got a chance to actually see Cole Tucker before I knew that he was going to be in the CFL draft back when I thought he was just some random American when I was down at the College Gridiron Showcase in Texas in January. And what stands out about him is he is a physical target, right? He's a great blocker. He's no good for doing the dirty work at Northern Illinois. He's big. He's physical. He's a good route runner, not necessarily explosive in terms of his speed, but can get open using some leverage and using his size. And you look at a guy like that and you go, hmm, I wonder what he could do with the waggle. And to me, I see Cole Tucker as being a guy who could line up at multiple spots in a CFL offense with that Canadian passport, work out of the slot or work as that Z receiver, almost in a Drew Wolitarski type mold. And that is an extremely valuable addition that you could make to a CFL team and a guy who could make an impact early. To me, that's a first round caliber talent. You simply can't let that get away, especially with so many teams in the league needing either depth or upgrades at the Canadian receiver position. I feel like for years now, fellas, when it comes to the CFL draft, there's tons of hype around receivers going in the first round. And in the past, it hasn't worked out. Now, I'm not saying Cole Tucker's not going to work out, but it just seems a lot of times there's more smoke and little actual fire that comes from these guys when they get into the CFL. So I'd really like to see Cole Tucker and, you know, the next wave of receivers that come to the CFL over these draft years that are coming up live up to the hype because it is really intriguing to talk about this kid and his production and his potential and his bloodlines seem like they all line up, but there have been a number of receivers in the past that have gone in the first round and hasn't worked out. And that's going to make some CFL teams timid. Now I think it's great that we're seeing Canadian quarterbacks get drafted higher and higher. And those guys actually working out like a Nathan Rourke or a Trey Ford, who looks like he has some great upside. Of course, he's got the athletic potential, but I'd like to see some of these receivers start panning out more. And that will give CFL teams more confidence when they're selecting receivers in the first round or potentially with the first overall pick as Hodge alluded to. So Cole Tucker seems to have all the makings of a potentially great Canadian CFL receiver and maybe even take off the Canadian designation because he's big, as JC noted, physical, will block, will do the dirty work and looks like he can go up and get the football as well. We need to see how well he'll run. But I want to see guys like this 
convert on the potential because I feel like in the last number of years covering the CFL draft closely, there have been more guys that have been bus than there have been successes that have been taken high at the receiver position in the CFL draft. Well, as long as he's not Mark Chapman. Well, well that was enough. a it's whole a different cat. situation. You can blame the Hamilton Tiger Cats for that one going off the rails. By the way, something I will add before I move on. When you look at the top receivers in the CFL, they all have something in common. I'm talking about Curly Gittins Jr., Nick Dembski, Kean Schaefer-Baker, and even as young and up-and-coming receivers, there's no two Canadian receivers more exciting as young guys in the CFL than the twins, Jalen and Tyson Philpott of the St. Peters and Alouettes, respectively. They all played their college ball in Canada at the youth sports level. The NCAA guys have had a lot more trouble converting that success up north. I'm talking about first-round picks like Tavon Smith, who's had a relatively quiet CFL career, considering he spent a few years in the NFL. I'm talking about guys like Kurji Mayala, who, despite starting a number of games, have never put up a lead production. He's now down south again in the USFL. So if you're going to take a top receiver, at least in the last five to ten years, you've had a lot more success with the U Sports game than the NCAA game. So we'll see if Tucker can buck that trend potentially if he, in fact, is in the CFL next year. Depending, because we also don't know, boys, he might get NFL interest, especially if he runs really, really well, right, in that 4-4 zone that so many teams want to see. The Lions signed defensive end Sean Lemon, who was named the most outstanding defensive player in the West Division last season after recording 47 sacks in 17 games as a member of the Calgary Stampeders. Do you think this is a smart addition for BC? I love this addition for the Lions for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, Sean Lemon is an exceptional player still at his age of 34 going on 35. He can still rush the passer at an elite level in the CFL. We saw it last year with what he did for the Calgary Stampeders. Now the critiques about Lemon and whether he's consistent down to down, whether he's a good run defender, I think all of those things are valid, but what teams need to realize is there is value to a guy who can be a ro- more rotational piece who can come in and give you those high-end pass rush, rush reps in key situations. And why I really like this move for the Lions is because they don't necessarily have to start Sean Lemon every game this upcoming season. Now, they might at the start. I know Sioni Tehema, their other American defensive end who had seven sacks as a rookie a year ago. He's coming off off-season shoulder surgery. So Lemon might start the season out as the number one guy. But as the year goes along, strategically, and the Lions like to use a heavy rotation, if you start someone else and put Lemon as a backup capacity because of the ways the ratio rules are changing next year, a veteran American like him can play 49% of the snaps for a Canadian starter. In this case, the Lions are starting a Canadian defensive end in Matthew Betts with David Menard rotating in. Now you have a scenario if Sean Lemon is backing up to Hema where you can bring him in and sub him in for Matthew Betts in those key passing situations in the fourth quarter when you need a key sack, a strip sack, a you know, a forced fumble 
you can have both those guys on the edge at the same time. Maybe you take Nathan Cherry, who's a, a young Canadian D tackle off the field, and you bring in Betts or Menard inside. Now all of a sudden you're running almost a NASCAR front in these key passing situations. It gives you so many opportunities to disrupt the passer. I think it's a really smart move by the BC Lions to be able to give themselves that versatility to be able to do that much stuff late in the game. Lemon has proven that even in his mid-30s, he can still get after the quarterback 14 sacks in 17 games last year with the Stamps, and he continues to put up double-digit sack seasons. He's closing in on 100 career sacks. So I think for all parties, this is a signing that could work out really well because it could actually help Lemon play longer if he doesn't have to play down in and down out, especially on some of those first down rundowns to save his body and put him in those situations where he really thrives as a pass rusher affecting the opposing quarterback. So I think for all the scenarios that JC laid out and also Sean Lemon as well to lengthen his career, it makes a lot of sense for all the sides involved. And boys, where do the BC Lions play in week one? Calgary. Calgary. I wonder if Sean Lemon has that date circled on his calendar. I think <laughs> I think we already know the answer to that one. It's time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2009, Toronto native Colin Cole signed a five-year contract with the Seattle Seahawks worth $21.4 million USD. The Iowa product played 13 seasons with five teams down south, recording 261 tackles and five and a half sacks from the nose tackle position. Cole enjoyed one of the longest careers of any undrafted player in NFL history. That's not Canadian player. That's any player in NFL history who went undrafted. 13 seasons. Boys, do you remember Colin Cole playing down south? You know, I don't remember much about him actually on the field. My memories of Colin Cole are being a young kid playing Madden football, whatever year it happened to be at the time, and trying to amass an all-Canadian roster through my franchise management and having to acquire Colin Cole for draft picks in the trade block. That's what I remember Colin Cole for. What were some other players on that roster, JC? Oh, uh, Vaughn Martin back in the day. I mean, I'm trying to Ooh. trying to think. Yeah, it's a, some good D linemen at the time. You struggle for the, Vaughn the receivers. Martin lining up, excuse me, but I remember Vaughn Martin lining up across from me when he played for Western University at the time, University of Western Ontario, when I was a quarterback at the University of Guelph. And that dude could turn it on in a second. It was unbelievable to see that level of talent up close. And uh, you can't remember knows? anybody else from that roster? Orlando Franklin would have been on there. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that's a a little bit. uh, They crossed over a bit, I think. But uh, yeah, Orlando Franklin. Trying to think of some others. Austin Colley. Yeah, Austin Colley. There's another guy. You get some of the CFL players at the time. Uh, He was at just uh, just the start. Yeah, Luke Wilson. Wilson. I mean, you're getting more modern with that. You you can really make a good roster these days, all Canadian. Would you put about Jesse Palmer? Yes. Yeah. Or I'd find somebody who had just been signed from the CFL. There was a brief moment. Ricky Ray was in the game and that was, that was a great year for me. Ricky Ray as the quarterback, as a CFL guy. And you've chosen to commemorate that year by keeping your landline phone. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Let's get to the three minute drill boys. The Montreal Alouette signed left tackle Nick Callender 
to a two-year contract extension. Is that a smart move? There are not a lot of offensive tackles around these days with the USFL and the XFL chewing them up. You may as well lock down the blind side of your offensive line for a couple more years. Football Canada's Women's Under-18 National Tackle Football Tournament will be the first to feature an Indigenous team this year. Do you like the idea? Absolutely love this idea. I, I'm a guy who watches lacrosse every now and again. I love the fact that the Haudenosaunee have a team, the Iroquois Nation, are involved in that aspect and have their own team at national tournaments. I love this idea for the Canadian National Tackle Football Tournament for Women. Thumbs up, approval from me. Great job, Football Canada. Red Blacks receiver Shaq Evans told TSN 1200 in Ottawa that he believes he fell out of favor in Saskatchewan. Do you think that's true? Definitely true, but a lot of it was due to the injuries. I think if Shaq Evans could have stayed on the field there, he had a dynamic connection with Cody Fajardo. It could have changed part, at least, of what happened last season when the Riders missed the playoffs in a year where they were hosting the Grey Cup. All we do is state facts on this program, okay? Longtime Riders receiver and current assistant coach Naaman Roosevelt has been inducted into the University at Buffalo Hall of Fame. Is he a worthy selection? Oh, absolutely. He played four years at Buffalo, put up almost 4,000 yards and almost 30 touchdowns. Obviously, one of the best receivers in history at that organization. The Calgary Stampeders signed veteran offensive tackle Jamel Campbell. Could they be signaling a potential ratio change along the O-line? I don't know about that. I'm high on Josh Coker, who likely takes over for Julian Goods-Jones. They also have Hugh Thornton there. He's a former fourth-round NFL draft pick and, and saw some playing time last year. What it does give them is the flexibility to go that way if they need to. Bryce Bell has kicked out to that right tackle spot at times last season as the sixth offensive lineman. This is a, a more veteran present who is a tackle by trade in Jamal Campbell. So you always like it when you're adding versatility and Canadian depth as an organization. Jim Hobson told the Rod Peterson show that he's not sure about whether or not he would have hired Chris Jones had he still been with the Rough Riders organization at that time. Would you hire Chris Jones, Dunk? If you look at his resume, when he was the head coach in Edmonton, that team won a great cup, and he turned that whole franchise around. When he went to Saskatchewan, he put in place the pieces, for the large part, of the team that won the West Division in 2019 and went to the West Final again in 2021. So the answer at the moment would be, yes, if I needed somebody to turn my entire operation around and hit the scouting road like Chris Jones and his staff does, then I would hire Chris Jones because I believe he can scout with the best of them. He's a great defensive coach, and he's shown that he has turned around multiple organizations and set them up for potential Grey Cup success. The Edmonton Elks acquired the rights to Canadian linebacker Woody Apollon from the Ottawa Red Blacks in exchange for a second-round pick in the 2023 CFL Draft. Does that trade make sense to you, though, Hodge? The trade makes sense a little bit, for Edmonton's perspective, because they drafted Wesley Apollon, Woodley's twin brother, this past season. So you've now got them both. But a second round pick, Apollon was a fifth round pick last year. Now you're giving up the 12th overall pick in the draft to go get him. To me, this, this trade makes more sense for Ottawa. 
The Ottawa, pardon me, the Montreal Alouettes have added longtime CFL running back Tyrell Sutton to their coaching staff. Do you think he can make an impact in the Belle Provence? I think he can. I loved Sutton as a running back. He had that sort of savviness as a veteran that can translate well to coaching. So good move by the Alouettes. The Toronto Argonauts have signed 34-year-old receiver Dontrell Inman. Yes, you're hearing that right. Dontrell Inman is back in the CFL after a seven-year run in the NFL. Do you think he still has any gas left in the tank? I bet he does, and the Argos clearly think Inman does as well. And in his prime, he ran the 40-yard dash in the 4-4s, and you know, I can see it right now. Chad Kelly throwing touchdowns to the timeless Dontrell Inman at BMO Field after Kelly drags a bunch of people out to the stadium to watch. It could be a great scene. Bombers GM Kyle Walters told C-Job that there will be legit competition for Mark Leggio in training camp. Is that necessary? I fully understand why so many Bomber fans are upset about the kicking situation. Leggio did not have the best playoff run, but... I think it's unfair that a lot of fans, at least where I'm located in Winnipeg, seem to be blaming the Grey Cup loss on Legio because as I tweeted yesterday, the offense turned the ball over twice and put up 16 points. And when you do that, you're not going to win very many games, period. So to me, yes, there needs to be more competition, but I also think Legio deserves a little more respect than he's getting. He hit 81% of his field goals last year, including a 55-yard game winner in the Labor Day Classic. So. Yes, he could be better, but it's not like this team was perfect all of last year, but had atrocious kicking. Because I think that's the narrative some fans are trying to paint, and I don't think it's accurate. Last one, JC, you talked to 2023 CFL draft prospect Lake Corte Moore about his tenure as a ski racer. Do you think he'll be a first-round pick in this year's draft? Yeah. I don't think he's going to end up being a first-round pick this year. I think scouts are a little bit cooler on him than many might suspect based on his size and his production last year at UBC. But what I will say about Lake Corte more, I look at his profile and how it compares to some other guys who have come through the draft process. I would not be surprised if we look back on this draft five, ten years from now, and we do the final accounting if he's one of the nine best players who come out of this draft. That would not surprise me based on his skill set. Blake Corte Moore was an absolute monster for UBC last season. One of the big reasons why they got to the Hardy Cup, and he just tore it up, especially in the playoff game when they upset Regina in that city that JC loves so much. That does it for this edition of the Three Donation Podcast. We'll catch you next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.